0: And welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of inspiring women leaders. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today I'm really excited to welcome to the show Dr. Omolara Thomas Uwemedimo. Dr. Uwemedimo specializes in partnering BIPOC women-led healthcare practices with community organizations to create health justice for historically excluded and under-resourced communities. She has worked as a global paediatrician in low-income countries for almost two decades and a public health researcher and professor for over a decade, securing over $2 million in grant funding and leading interprofessional teams to build and scale innovative healthcare delivery programs to achieve greater health equity for marginalized youth and families. Prompted by severe burnout and a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis in 2019, Dr. Omalara left academia and co-founded Strong Children Wellness, a healthcare network that partners with communities to provide comprehensive and tech-enabled physical health, mental health, and social care for marginalized children and families, including those impacted by poverty, trauma, and immig- immigration challenges. As a social entrepreneur, she secured over $700,000 in funding in less than two years without loans or investors. This prompted her to create Melanin & Medicine, a now multi-six-figure coaching company that supports women of colour to build, fund, and grow justice-driven healthcare practices that make income and impact without going into debt or giving away their equity. So, I think that is just so inspiring i'm i'm just blown blown away by all of that um dr omolara thank you thank you so much for that amazing bio um without further ado let's welcome my esteemed guest uh dr omolara thomas uemedimo to the show welcome thank you so much for agreeing to come on and speak to the show's audience
1: thank you so much for having me adam i'm i'm truly excited of- heard a bunch of your prior podcast guests so it's an honor I'm really excited to talk <laughs> with you
0: you you are more than uh than up there with the heavy hitters believe me this is a uh, a really a really um, amazing kind of achievements that you've had in in your w- relatively young life um so thank you so much it's it's an honor to have you on the show um so I've obviously um read out that um that wonderful bio um but could could you kind of personalize it um a little bit for us please in your own words tell us a bit more about yourself um including what your current work roles are what leadership positions you currently hold um, or have held in the past please
1: yeah so i'm as you mentioned a board certified pediatrician and a public health researcher would probably be my initial kind of certifications or roles but um I've had a life that has allowed me to dabble in different areas of being a clinician. So being able to practice clinically, being able to do, I think, really powerful research to try and bring programs to communities of color, especially under-resourced. But this new chapter of my life is really around how do I take everything I've learned, everything I've done, to actually be able to build out um, an example of what the type of healthcare system that I think needs to be, which is why why we co-founded Strong Children Wellness. Strong Children Wellness, for me, um, it is a practice as we mentioned that really extends beyond primary care. Our goal was that health begins in communities, not clinics. And so the idea of that is we have to think about a person as being part of a community and all of the different things that that affect that person. So not just being able to address their physical health need, but their mental health and also the social issues that surround them. People often call those the social determinants of health nowadays. Mm. Ultimately, in doing this kind of work, what we realized was a lot of people, a a lot of the communities that we were noticing that were having health inequities were health deserts. And there wasn't investment being put into bringing care closer and embedding it into those communities. And during the time when I was in academia, Really, the way that we counteracted that was through partnerships with community-based nonprofits and organizations that had the buy-in and the deep history within those communities. And so ultimately, our goal was now to say, how come we can't bring healthcare into those organizations to increase accessibility? And that was how SCW was born. Um, We started it in New York we started early because of the pandemic, because many of the practices were closing. And as you know, New York was kind of ground zero um, yeah. for the pandemic. And then we were able to expand it. Now we are at a place where I am CEO. I have my co-founders, our COO and, and chief health officer. And our employees have we now increased to about 19 employees. We have two locations. We're going to open a third Um, and these are based in New York. And then in addition, we have really, we're at the three and a half year mark. So it's really exciting for us to see the expansion. And in that, it's been really exciting for me to be able to identify other BIPOC practice owners, both men and women, we've expanded to include men as well, (laughs) and being able to help them scale. um, Because a lot of a lot of us when we move into this we're called to serve certain communities but then when we're confronted with the financial <laughs> issues of how to manage a practice and build these kind of issues we we see that maybe the per- the profit kind of supersedes the passion understandably mm-hmm. and the purpose and so my goal is to use grants and contracting and partnerships to help people tap back into being able to profitably do the purpose of what their practice is and really touch the lives that they were called to clinical medicine to touch. So that's melanin and medicine. And that's um, been exciting to have that other lens to just really be able to share knowledge, um, meet some amazing clinicians who are doing amazing work and just help them grow.
0: Wow. That's, that's such impressive and, and worthwhile work that you do there. Um, yeah, I, I um, it resonates what you say about kind of Im- embedding the the healthcare, you know, the clip the clinic within the community. You know, um, I there are some um, you know, general practice clinics, so um, you know, family family physician clinics here in the UK that are you know very much have kind of grown and expanded to include lots of sort of various social um, initiatives. Um, including, you know, kind of like financial health advice and all this, all this kind of thing. But they really are like the the hub of the community, you know. And people go there, and and they even have like coffee, you know, cha- charity based coffee places and things like this, you know. Um, and yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense to have, you know, healthcare at the at the at the heart and at the center, and 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 have everything else kind of there around it. So um, I really really love that. Um, and in terms of your um so your your financial savvy yeah your ex your expertise your business expertise and so on did that kind of come from your your academic background and kind of securing all of those grants is that you know you kind of managed to persuade people to kind of part with their money and and so on
1: so financial i laughed when you said financial savvy i think um (laughs) I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I've reached the mountaintop in terms of <laughs> describing that that way. But what I yes, what I um allude to. So I was a global health pediatrician, which actually I think um was why I felt the community was such an important part of practicing, because it was in a lot of the countries that I worked in. Um you couldn't really reach people without being able to be embedded inside of the community and, and really develop buy-in and credibility. In terms of um, taking that kind of model of partnering with communities, the institutions that we work that I, and many of us work in, have tight budgets and doing Mm -hmm. creative, new, innovative models is Mm -hmm. not something that like, they're like, okay, let's just do. So I did have to start to try to identify different funders. And Uh through doing that over time, I remember my initial getting a little five-figure grant and being so excited about, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. I can write something and then people will give me money to actually do it. And I (laughs) I got hooked and, you know, over time was able to get like seven figures for like, you know, a medical legal partnership where we brought lawyers into the clinic Mm -hmm. to be able to support um, our patients. And so ultimately I did get pretty good at being able Mm -hmm. to... I think, be compelling on paper and also in conversations to really help people see the the value of, of investing their money into, you know, these kind of, I would say, health equity programs. And so, yes, that is where I started to develop that muscle. And then mm. it was different to now do that without the backing of a large, you know, institution. And now yeah. it's just social entrepreneur and say and but you know and say this is the way we want to do it i will say that a lot of people overthink this part too much like Mm. they're kind of like you have to do this and do that i would say that it's really important to let to identify an organization that you've been really excited about in terms of that have the same target population and that you would be excited if there was any way you can collaborate because usually those nonprofits already have funders and Mm. it allows for there to be somewhere where you can start to develop the relationship and share what you're doing. We got our first grant to start SCW we didn't have anything. We had it. We mm. just had the idea on paper, and we brought it to a past funder of our community partner, and that's how we got our first one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar grant to be able to get started. Mm. The,
0: yeah. That's amazing, and um, you know, especially as uh, as you and I both know, we we get taught zero. Um, skills of much use in the real world as as yeah. doctors, yeah. <laughs>
1: so, I would agree. I yeah. would very much agree.
0: <laughs> so that I mean to uh yeah to have developed that muscle and and uh, exercise that muscle is really is really fantastic and and um you know you you really are appealing to people with a with a calling to to help um marginalise people and disenfranchise people, um but as you say, you know if you want to attract good people, you know, they still have bills to pay. They still have a mortgage and all of this. Yeah. They need to be profitable. Their clinics need to be profitable. So, um, uh, you know, because, you know, good people will be attracted to other posts won't they elsewhere and and people will kind of headhunt them and so on. But, you know, it's one thing kind of having that really strong calling, but another thing to, you, you know, for you to, um, almost o- override all of your other needs your financial needs in in life so yeah um the people that you're working with must be just so inspiring to 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 be with i guess
1: they they really are i mean i think you know it's been interesting because usually before we work with anyone um, and a lot of times we're working with BIPOC practice owners. Um, we really want to make sure that there's a purpose around their yeah. practice. What is that purpose? So you know, and that is not to knock people who are like, this is a great way to make money. Um, because it is a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's there's probably easier ways, but it's, yeah. but yeah. it's a, it is, um, you know, opening a practice. But I think that what drew myself and my partners in strong children wants to open our practice was a collective frustration at what existed. And I Mm. think the people who, who connect really well and who become clients for us in melanin medicine are, have that same context where they're like, I was working in this field, but I didn't feel like I was making the difference for X, Y, Z population that I really Mm. want to. And so that allows for us to then say, okay, there's an underlying, this practice serves all these people, but there's this underlying purpose to really serve these people. So for example, um, one of our owners was, an OB, or is, she is still practicing. She's an OBGYN and mm-hmm. she was taking care of, you know, all types of women, but really wanted to have a way to take care of domestic um, violence and sexual assault survivors and really mm-hmm. be able to provide a holistic, just, you know, dignified place that they felt nurtured given yeah. all of the trauma that they've had and yeah. you know it, given some of the issues like a lot of times people had to pay to come into her practice or mm-hmm. you know, if, and and so what we did was we identified who are organizations that are in her area that actually mm-hmm. are caring for domestic violence survivors and we started the conversation we reached out we um, helped her like navigate how to have the conversation and figure out what the pain points were with that organization. And then they were able to connect and that allowed for now there to be like this streamlined process where she was able to bring clinician on site, but mostly have that referral process where they were bringing in people and subsidizing, having a contract mm-hmm. to subsidize their care at her, at her practice. So it allowed... Yeah for her to achieve that passion that she wanted but also for this group that really does have difficulty with getting trauma informed care yeah. to now get it from a clinician who that is her mission and so that's, yeah. those are the kind of connections that are really inspiring and and kind of just continue to make me you know excited to do this work and figure out some other creative collaborations yeah. that build out.
0: That is wonderful. That's such a great example of a uh of where your model make, you know, makes a huge, huge difference. Um, I love that. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, okay. So obviously you're, um, you know, CEO of a couple of, couple of organizations um, as well as having other leadership roles as well. What's your personal leadership style? Would you, would you say, do you have one? Was it, uh, you know, yeah, varied?
1: So, <laughs> I would say that I'm very much um, community and I like to say that I'm a collaborative leader. and mm. what that means is that I'm very clear that my strength is vision mm. and mm. not execution. <laughs> and I'm very yeah. much um clear on that. I very much know what I want it to look like. I know how to, you know, guide people towards that. um what I need, and usually even in how we built our both of the organizations have been by, not looking for people who look like us as the leaders, but who fill in these other gaps. So for even my hiring process and everything, we have them do like strengths finders and disc assessments and Enneagrams and other things like that, just to figure out who is this person and do they fit in the way that, and not in like a cultural fit, which I know a lot of people use to like kind of exclude people from, but in a way that says, okay, we need someone who is an extrovert. We need someone who is able to reach out. We need someone who is um, able to, um, you know, do X, Y, Z um, because we know we don't have anyone like that on the team. What I also say in the collaborative piece is not just them building like this community that has all of these strengths, but is also that my lead, my my um, team is actually able and has a lot of room to bring up ideas and mm. to be able to execute and I give a lot of leeway so I wouldn't say mm. I'm very much a, a micromanager at all mm. um and I'm more of kind of I really do think that the best ideas come from groups um not mm. from me so the vision that I have is like this is the vision I have what yeah. else what it help me clarify it Help me you know think through help me take off some of it so that it becomes the best edited version for for the communities that we want to serve
0: i like that i like that so you you kind of know what you want to to see what what you want to achieve um and then you kind of you know so you you're very you're very visionary and you're kind of bringing people on board with that with that vision mm-hmm. um but equally you need their help to actually create the real thing from the vision sort of thing yeah so you're very collaborative um you work very closely with uh with groups you know groups of people and and within the team and so on um yeah I love that that's that's uh that's wonderful and do you find that your um your leadership style has to change at times
1: oh yes so I find there are times and um it's funny because I I you know I do find at times I definitely am like this needs to get done, right? So we're going to have to make an executive <laughs> decision, mm. right? So it's good to have forums where you can hear what everyone's what everyone thinks and also hopefully build something that's even better than what you in, uh, initially envisioned by, by mm. getting other people's ideas. But I do think that at times when there are specific issues that are very time sensitive that need to move forward, yeah. um, a lot of times that may require me to... Move less towards collaboration and yeah. more towards kind of just moving things forward um, with yeah. the hope that as we, you know, as those decisions are made, um, that allows for people to contribute and how they get executed. But I think it can be difficult sometimes to be collaborative um, if, like, there are, if there's a time sensitivity around yeah. it. And you know, and then people aren't on the same page. So that's that definitely yeah. has changed things. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, and I I, uh, I I totally agree with that and and fully appreciate when that's necessary. you know um, there's that tension between being a sort of a democratic leader and a and an authoritarian leader at times. <laughs> and you're exactly, you know, I, I completely see where you're coming from. sometimes things are time sensitive and you haven't got time to to have a committee meeting about it, you know, and sometimes, sometimes ultimately it's like, well, a decision has to be made. There's no kind of agreement. um, And you're the, you're the boss, you know, it's, it's, it's your name on the, on the top of the letterhead, you know, so you, you it, the decisions kind of reflect you in a way. So I think that's entirely fair to, to step in and make those decisions when, when it's necessary. So yeah, no, I I hear you. Um, Thank you for that. Um you obviously you've you've um told us a bit a bit about um you know the founding of um Strong Children Wellness, SEW and Menelina Medicine. Um and that you were, you know, a, a, have an academic background. Um I mean, what was your your journey to leadership? I'm 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 guessing that once, you know, because you were a professor, so you were, you know, you were kind of you know top of the academic tree then it probably wasn't, although entrepreneurship is a very alien concept to physicians, Mm -hmm. it probably wasn't as much of a leap to go from being a high-level academic to being a CEO of an organization. Um, And please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Yeah,
1: I actually left my organization kicking and screaming. So I'll be there. (laughs) And why I say that is because I was not... um, that was not in my, in my, you know, purview at all to Mm. lead a company in that way. And Mm. so, you know, in terms of the journey, um, I was very much excited about being in the thick of things and doing and really being able to connect with the the people on the ground. And Mm. what I was noticing was that there were glass ceilings let's start with mm-hmm. my global health work right and mm-hmm. being able to work and do um do work with HIV infected children and then notice that there were medicine stockouts or transportation challenges to get kids where they wanted to where they needed to be to get care and that frustrated me so mm-hmm. much in global health to the point that that was what pushed me to come back to the U.S. and do a public health degree so I could figure out mm-hmm. okay what a how do you create programs how do you health system strengthening what are the things that you need in order to change policy um and in doing that i really got excited i did an mph and got excited in research because but not research um i i call, it's called implementation science research so mm-hmm. research that allows for you to create a program and do something and then evaluate what's okay. how is it affecting people and that was really exciting so i ended up doing research i ended up um running a global health program so founding one that would train other doctors to be able to learn mm. how to practice and also seeing patients and teaching at a public health school as an associate professor and um as you may imagine <laughs> i got burnt out from mm. that um, mm. and, uh, you know, ultimately ended up, r- ended up leaving clinical for a little bit. i um, only to fill that up with doing more advocacy and public health work. Mm. And that's when I ended up hospitalized. And so that piece of ending up hospitalized and not, and losing the ability to walk was kind of the inflection point for me to say, and my neurologist weighed in on this was <laughs> me to mm. say that, um, the, what I was doing. Um, was not going to potentially work to my benefit, the stress, the fact that five people had to take my job while I was on leave. And um
0: well, you were doing <laughs> the jump of five people, of oh, gosh,
1: yeah. <laughs> And um and so ultimately I needed to make a decision. And I think what that decision was that I actually needed support. And, you know, given, and, you know, I understand kind of how institutions are. And so given, I guess, financial issues or whatever, I wasn't able to get that kind of support that I needed. And so um, I almost did a tour, I think, around my academic institution because I knew what I wanted to do, which was build a model that looked like strong children. and, And I was just trying to find somewhere that someone in the organization would be like, yes we can do that in here because it seems so scary and so impossible for Mm. me (laughs) to be able Mm. to do that on my own. But when I, I finally, um, I think it was two people who said the same thing. They said, maybe you should just leave. Um, and, And then I was like, okay, okay, God, I think you're telling me something. And um, I ended up transitioning. I ended up transitioning out, and it was the scariest thing ever. So I don't, I'm not a person who who tries to say yes. Entrepreneurship is the thing, right? I have mm-hmm. a New York mortgage and two high maintenance kids. I understand financially <laughs> <laughs> that you know a salary does help things. But I think what was really important for me in entrepreneurship was that. Um, starting structured and wellness saved my life honestly and wow. that was um like to go into entrepreneurship from that lens about like this is something not that I choose to do but I must do um because wow. I want I have the vision but one of my one of my um she's not an actual like mentor but she is somewhat a role model that I see Kamara Jones. Um, who was a former president of uh, American public health association. I remember watching a video and she's a a racism, anti-racism advocate. And she mentioned how she doesn't change her agenda when things like show up, she changes her venue. So you don't change the vision, just change the venue. And that was kind of what I, I think I decided to do when moving into entrepreneurship.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So so, um, initially, it's it's so it's. If I kind of go, um, sort of chronologically, you you did the um the kind of traditional route of, you know, residency and then kind of becoming board certified, attending and so on in in pediatrics, and then you, you went and worked overseas. Is that is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah,
1: I didn't even. Um, I finished residency and went straight to Africa.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So you were you were attending uh, over over there. Yeah. Um, and then it's because you wanted to know more about how to kind of get traction for the programs that you wanted to run um, and get you know effective treatment for your patients that you went and did the masters of public health and yeah. and and then you kind of um, you know you became an assistant professor and you were actually setting up your own program but you would if you were doing the it took five people to kind of take on your roles when you yeah. went off off with your illness,
2: yeah. you were
0: doing, you were doing a lot of stuff, obviously you were, doing, you I know, <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, you were, it was, the writing was on the wall, uh, you know, vis-a-vis burnout and, you know, and getting some kind of stress related illness.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and if you'd stayed within your institution, you'd have been pulled in lots of different directions. I, I, I'm I sensing um as well as, um wanting to run a program like Strong Children's Wellness under the auspices of the organization where you'd have been like an intrapreneur rather yeah. than an entrepreneur, right? But you'd have still had your academic responsibilities to take care of and your students and yada yada. So it would have, I mean, you know, I I myself know how um how much of a toll it takes uh kind of setting up your own business and, you know, you know, doing other things like like having a podcast and 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 so on on the side um to think to even kind of consider doing this and having a full time job would just fill me with absolute dread um <laughs> because yeah <laughs> I've, I've been there as a startup you know i am i'm really still a startup um so so you, you you know you went from being someone who sounds like you weren't delegating a lot you were doing lots of things yourself Within your um, academic setting, right? say
1: that again, Adam. Um, Thank
0: yeah. you. <laughs> that is the message that needs to be heard. Yeah, right? <laughs> delegate, delegate, delegate. Um, and then obviously, you know, so then you know, some people were saying to you, "Uh, well, you know, uh, look, you know, you can you can do this as a as a standalone thing in the kind of like you know non academic setting, setting it up yourself, and um, and that then at least kind of um alleviated some of the responsibilities
1: yeah from the
0: academic side yeah
1: yeah i think the biggest piece also were the fact that i found two people who were as crazy as me right who were kind (laughs) of, yeah this sounds reasonable which it clearly was not i mean it was like yeah we're gonna take our health care and bring it into these community organizations even though we really haven't seen that happen and yeah. you know and and then talking to an organization who was willing to be like yes let's do that so yeah. i think there were many pieces to this puzzle um, but that included also having some kind of validation from others that would yeah. be able to like make this happen right yeah. before yeah. being able to step out um and then being able to actually secure like a funder who was willing to also yeah. pour into that it was a perfect yeah. you know store
0: yeah. a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah but that's the thing you know you are a visionary and you are um innovative and creative and and you know you you weren't gonna let a a little thing like it's never been done before uh <laughs> stop you from doing it right so <laughs> that's why you're on my show because you're an absolute huge inspiration so um no i mean gosh on behalf of the community the, the many communities and thousands of people that you've helped you know that's uh that's amazing thank you so much um so i mean you mentioned you mentioned um um, kamara jones but she was more of a role model to you were there any any people um on this journey um either you know kind of through the residency or post um uh, becoming an attending or while you were in academia you know male or female that that helped you rise you know i mean you mentioned glass ceilings before you know sometimes we do need a bit of help kind of smashing through those glass ceilings were there anyone that you'd like to mention
1: yeah I mean I would say and it's funny because I was just at the American Public Health Association and a um, re- uh, conference annual conference and I reconnected with um, one of my mentors from residency who was like the mentor from residency for me mm. who was a black woman as well a pediatrician of course and she was mm she and so that was uh we were we were doing the math of when that was, but that was um almost twenty years ago that was like eighteen years ago or something mm. um and she was telling me how you know she was my age when <laughs> when um now my age now when she was trying to kind of like talk me off the ledge every month or so while I was like going through residency and trying to mm. figure out how. I fit. Um, You know, a few of the things that I didn't mention was that I was quite young entering into residency. I actually Mm. um, started, uh, I I graduated high school at 15 and and then I did a Mm. seven-year program. So a lot of times, you know, entering into spaces, I was younger, I was definitely had different experiences. Mm. And so going to a place like Boston Children's Hospital um, which is, you know, from Harvard and Boston Medical Center, Boston University, there was a lot of um, gravitas and of mm. people, you know, are attending mm. and you kind of felt, do I belong here? <laughs> and mm. so um, she was a great mentor in helping me solidify that I did belong here. If I mm. didn't have the ability to believe it. She was like, okay, I'm going to have enough belief for both of us yeah. in you and building that up. And she actually, I think one of the reasons why I really was excited about her is she, when I graduated residency, she transitioned out to become um, the commissioner um, of health for Boston, deputy commissioner. Mm. So it was exciting to see her clinical work now move into kind of advocacy and policy work, which mm. is, I think where I'm going um I'm trying mm-hmm. to like build these models trying to show different ways how collaboration with nonprofits can really build true health justice systems and my goal is how do we get that funded how do we get that paid for mm-hmm. through insurance um or you know something else that we can use i know insurance is, in america actually is really just difficult it's a huge mm-hmm. barrier but how do we figure out ways to scale this kind of work nationally and do that? And I think that's really been really exciting as a mentor. Um, Dr. Lauren Smith is her name. Um, and a- another mentor that I, I would say that has been really important to me in particular has been um, one of the first. So Tracy Donnelly, who is the community organization CEO that actually we started Strong Children Wellness with at Child Center of New York. And she has been that, like, she is basically that person, right? The person who is saying, yeah, so what? It's not been done before. Okay, we're going to do it. And I've just loved her courage and her kind of, um, I don't know if she's fearless, but she's definitely doing it afraid if she's not fearless. Yeah, yeah. Um, being able to see women in particular show up in that way has mm. been really exciting, I think, um, who aren't kind of people pleasers and other things that we've, like, attributed to, you know, certain genders to be able to do to be nice and loved and care for, that they've been able to move past that and just still be wonderful people. And I'm trying to, like, hit that balance, hopefully, as well. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, no, that's really, really lovely. It sounds like um yeah, the first the first mentor, Dr. Dr. Lauren that you mentioned, she um she kind of had enough confidence for 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 the both of you. Yeah. She kind of held that that confidence space for you. And uh, you know, it sounds like you you had, you know, quite a lot of imposter phenomenon at that time. But I mean, hey, you were you were young, you know, very, very young. Um, I mean, uh, I when I, I started medical school, we finished um high school and we don't there's no college degree you go straight to university straight to medical school in the uk and uh you know i actually had a year out before be, they call it a gap year between um finishing high school at 18 and then starting medical school but there was a there were two um young women i mean girls really they were 17 when they started medical school you know and they uh they did um yeah six six years and so they came out the age of 23 you know qualified doctors and it's like as you say you know there's there's sort of life experience that's a bit lacking there and you know kind of confidence and and so on it's uh it is it's really tough so you know thank thank goodness for um for her kind of keeping you going to, talking off the ledge you said every month <laughs> pretty much yeah. i mean
1: i when i entered it was when did i enter i was it was 2004 when i entered in june of july mm. of 2004 mm. and i was 22 years old in residency, mm. and yeah. i
2: mm.
1: and i was like going into rooms being people's doctors and they yeah, were yeah. you, like ma'am please yeah. who are you
0: little girl yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please please send the qualified doctor in yeah <laughs> so, i am honestly <laughs> So, you know, it was, yeah, it was a lot, but yeah. But, you know, without, without her kind of like, you know, um, you know, consistently encouraging you, um, you know, you wouldn't have been able to do these amazing, amazing things, um, that you're doing now. So, so that's wonderful. Um, and I know what you mean about sometimes sort of being in places where the, the people around you, the senior people around you are quite intimidating. Um, I used to do a bit of um, um, tutoring and um, facilitating group um, medical legal um, discussions for um, fourth year med students at Cambridge. So, you know, again, Mm -hmm. lots of lots of egos at Cambridge, you know, um, among the students as well right Uh, yeah yeah yeah. uh and and obviously the the attendings and professors and so on you're kind of you know sitting having we used to have these meetings um like a huddle before we went and got separated off into our our, which groups we were going to be leading and you know you're sitting there you know with this um you know uh Cambridge attending who's the the head of this particular Cambridge College the you know and it's like oh my goodness you know I'm just this you know family physician turned medical legal person you know what do <laughs> you know you just it's it's hard and and you know and again I I I always say that you know like with my experiences of, of being bullied at work you know if if a privileged white guy can experience these sorts of things then it's it's more difficult for you know, a non um, a non-male, non male, non non white person to kind of um, you know kind of face these things. So, I mean, g- genuinely, um, you know, you're you're so impressive. <laughs> that's, that's all I have to say. You're very you're very very impressive. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, um, you know, I think you've you've kind of um, gone through you know some some challenges which were um maybe more kind of like some this sounds like some mindset stuff and some you know kind of skill stuff like business and and kind of you know you know knowing um logistics about things and how you know how organizations are run you know all these all of these things that you had to learn um but w- did you ever kind of face any other um challenges in in the workplace from people any kind of discrimination or, or harassment or any anything like that? Um, yeah. that you're happy to talk about you don't have to but if you're happy to
1: no I mean yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: many times Um, I yeah. think I think one of the things that you know I was thinking about this uh, a lot and I think ultimately it's very interesting because people often use the word microaggressions when they mm. talk about things that aren't kind of the you know, expletive, like name calling that is yeah. really in your face. Now I will yeah. say I, I I have had that. I had um, a few experiences that mostly were during residency where, mm-hmm. you know, I was assumed to be the housekeeping staff or the yeah. you know, white coat and my stethoscope, yeah. you know, food staff, or um, when I actually got spit on um, during one of my, like coming in and I wasn't doctor who they wanted to see I've had those but I think ultimately there also has been most the the most difficult part has been having kind of this under the radar little like doubt that shows up um whether it be well taking care of patients um nurses maybe asking my colleague hey is this like do you agree with this order and everything like asking you know that or people as I come into the room as an attending, right? And looking at the white medical student who is next to me and patients assuming that that man there is the attending and I am not to make the decision. So those undercurrents I think have been the most difficult to navigate just because they're under the radar and you can assume sometimes you're like am I overthinking this or Mm. and I like to say that I don't use the word microaggressions anymore because it centers the person who is doing harm and not the person who is experiencing it because there's nothing micro about the impact of those yeah yeah um and so ultimately I kind of like I'm like Is this conscious racism? Is this subconscious racism? But I think um, I would say that there aren't specific things. I would say that it's just been being able to um, call out what is what I'm feeling when I'm in those spaces where before I used to take it in and question myself. And Mm. instead, I think now I'm kind of like, so why do you think that? Like, you know, tell me. I learned in a leadership fellowship program that I did at Robert Wood Johnson Foundation about these three, like we call them TED questions: tell me, explain, um, describe. And that has allowed for me to have people like put, you know, their put put themselves like, let me know what's happening, right? You know, yeah. tell me why that happened, why did you assume that, or tell me, yeah. you know, and and that has been a way for not only to like you know me to kind of hear what's happening but also i think in some way to help people have more self-awareness about how they're showing up in the world and what that can do to yeah. to others um and yeah. so yeah that's that's you know a little
0: well thank you thanks for so, so much for sharing that thanks for having the you know um the courage and and honesty to share that i appreciate it and and your um you know the way you've kind of um navigated those things i think is is really the best the best way of doing it but i, I just uh you know want to pick up on on your point about microaggressions and and really agree with you and you've made you've made me um see it see it uh from a different angle now and i i'm really grateful to you for that, uh, I did tell you before we start recording that I will, I just learn, I learn from my, um, my guests. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, my microaggressions, it's, it's, it, it uh, it, it, re- it sort of reduces the responsibility of the perpetrator, mm-hmm. but diminishes the effect on the recipient, mm-hmm. doesn't it? All Using right. that, that term, that's, mm-hmm. that's a, a, an absolutely, Fascinating and wholly accurate point, I think. Um, you know, we 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 use that in the same kind of breath as saying death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. You know. Um, and as if as if they're just like little little nicks that are just, you know, Mm -hmm. bleeding a few a few drops. But actually the 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 impact of a you know quote unquote microaggression uh can be more like a you know a a gaping wound across the abdomen or something, can't it, (laughs) than a little a little cut, yeah? Um and, and and it's just got me kind of just got me thinking about about things like uh the term casual racism you know um and i get why it's you know what's called casual racism is just something that people just are quite blasé about just say without even thinking yeah. you know but the impact there's nothing casual <laughs> about the impact on the on the recipient so um and i think what's what's really um really hit me is that you know not only were these things being said to you and and you know again you know i have never been as a as a as a white man um walking around the wards or clinics or whatever never been called nurse or or you know the the domestic or you know whatever um my wife who's a woman of color who's an attending surgeon has definitely been called nurse she's definitely experienced that thing where the the white male junior doctor or even medical student you know has been called the doctor and been spoken to and and she has not been looked at or addressed uh so I've, i've i've heard it kind of vicariously through through my wife um but for you to have that and then to compound it by you going away and and you know second guessing yourself and questioning yourself and saying oh well is it is it is it my fault there's absolutely nothing in it that is your fault you know and... i
1: remember so many things i remember okay maybe i should wear my glasses more maybe i should put my hair i re- like these things i just remember i need to make sure i have my white coat on all of these things i do remember early on in residency just what am i doing that's making people not see me as a physician and like going inward you know that was very prevalent during that
0: and and ultimately completely futile because yeah yeah? Yeah. like you can't you can't make yourself any less female you can't make yourself any less black yeah Mm -hmm. those are the things those are the two characteristics that people are using to demean you Yeah. yeah yeah So putting your glasses on and putting your hair up,
1: <laughs> yeah, I just, I, you know, I was so I was like, I don't understand. Yeah. And then over yeah. time, you're like, Oh, I understand mm. now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's yeah. a hard part of like medical racism of like, yeah. When you go in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed into medicine, yeah. like I just want to take care of people and help people, and you're realizing all of these multi-layered challenges, and mm. it's, it's almost like it's this um it's a shock honestly yeah. i don't think and i think now so not so much because yeah. we are definitely much more vocal about it but back then I, my my senior you know they weren't talking about like this as vocally as now you can no. read articles about how this has happened or listen yeah, to podcasts yeah. where people are talking about yes this is but back then everyone was like kind of put your head down just do it or if you experience it it's okay you just gotta ignore it and just keep going um mm. and you know so it did make it I didn't have out, a lot of outlets to be like oh that's what this is yeah. you know yeah, and, yeah.
0: that was yeah. a huge yeah issue. yeah it's and you know and as you say you were kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed you're idealistic you know
1: um
0: (laughs) and and it you know to have that that sort of bubble burst you know is a is is another is another insult it's another trauma yeah um to bring you know bring you down to down to earth with a great big crash this is actually what people are like (laughs) this is the real world right um yeah oh well thank you thank you so much for for sharing that and and uh and explaining that to me i appreciate that um i think you know that that advice is going to be really helpful for um um for the listeners but do you have any other advice on how to become a strong and kind leader i, I look at you and I, I i see someone who has you know been through so much you know not not, not only from um, the perspective of what we've just discussed, but also, you know, from your your clinical journey to your academic journey to your entrepreneurial journey, you know, it takes a strong person and, a, and a, you know, and a brave person to kind of also make that, as you say, make that leap from uh, the security and safety of a regular salaried income to all of a sudden, ah, <laughs> I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I've got bills to pay, I've got to make this work. Um, you know, that kind of, that kind of stress. So I think you're very, very strong, but um, you know, where, where before you were talking about your, your mentors, and I think I I've, I forgot to say um, is uh, especially, I think it was the second, the second mentor you were, you were talking about. So I've forgotten her name. Um, um, that's right. Yeah. But you, you um, what you're describing with her approach is simply that she's an assertive person.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, um, that you, you talk about, you know, not, not having that sort of stereo stereotypical, stereotypical female traits and female characteristics of being, you know, kind of like, you know, loving and caring and, you know, kind of, all, you, you can be loving, loving and caring, but still be, I'm, I'm not going to take this, you yeah. know, BS from, from you. Um, you know, these are my boundaries and, you know, I'm going to maintain them. And, uh, and, you know, be, that's, you know, as you say, the the perception, and this comes up all the time is the perception of an assertive woman is that woman is a, you know, mm-hmm. B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If a woman is assertive, she's not assertive. She's aggressive.
1: Aggressive. Right. Yeah. Aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, men <laughs> saying that. And women who are like men because there are there are some of those out there you know and you look at workplace bullying and two two-thirds of uh bullying against women in the workplace is from other women you know so there's, there's plenty of that that goes on um but you know it's it's you simply being assertive um and being strong and being kind i think they're all entirely entirely compatible um so how would you advise listeners to you know kind of cultivate that strength and that kindness um yeah. on their leadership journey
1: so I think there are two pieces to this especially for clinicians like I think the first thing that really changed the game for me um in terms of being able as from a clinician perspective then I'll talk about personal but from a mm. clinician perspective was not seeing not seeing the people who I were, you know, I had the opportunity to engage with in a clinical encounter as patients, but as people. And Mm. I think this was really important. I think I was taught that they are patients, right? That they have problems and you're there to fix them, right? But I wasn't taught that they are people who have wealth of like knowledge and expertise and other things that they can bring light to and so Mm. i think when i started adopting that as a clinician one my patients um connected more with me and Mm. then two and and saw me more authentically and were able to to disclose more which meant that we could create a plan that actually could work for Mm. them and get Mm. better outcomes but also it allowed for me to learn so much more in those encounters um, that no medical school was teaching me, no residency was teaching me, but how to really engage. um, And it's the part that I miss the most. I'm not, I don't practice now. I stopped practicing in um, the end of 2021 um, to really pursue a lot of this work and, and really, you know, move into policy work. But it's the part that brought me into medicine, which is a lot of some people go into it because they like the science or people like the procedures or other things. Mm. For me, it was always the relationships. And I was like, OK, mm. I'll I'll learn this other stuff. But I get to like sit here and watch kids and look at and talk to their moms and just like be someone that could be a resource. Um, so that's for the clinical part. For the personal side, I think there's four pieces that have been really important for me. One is the vision and just being able to really say what is my why and understand mm. that it's okay if that changes. Um I feel like every five to seven years, there's like a reinvention of, yeah, I thought that was my why, but this is my why. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> like, that, oh, That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> that's okay, right? Yeah. But I'm being okay with that, being okay to have an evolving vision and not saying, oh, I, I, you know, I can't do that. I think the second piece of this personally was knowing my values. And I did an exercise where I got to write down my values and, you know, kept struggling because it's like the top five. And, and, um, and having that has been so helpful because it's helped me to make decisions so much easier. Like, mm. this is not helping this. This is not bringing me towards this value at all. So that's a, Mm. like, um, I think the third thing was um, being able to have a village, right? And learning Mm. what you said to delegate. Yeah,
0: delegate, delegate, delegate.
1: And that village is from a personal standpoint of recognizing that there were people who were like, do you need help? That I was just ignoring and recognizing that people, once they see you kind of doing everything, like, I guess you can do it all by yourself and are more reluctant to even ask. And so being able to um, unlearn what medicine teaches us, which I think is like lone wolf syndrome, like I have the answer and I can do this to being able to delegate and and have a village. And the last thing is a voice, which I think I'm still working on.
2: Mm-hmm. I think,
1: um, you know, I love to write. I like writing rather than a verbal voice. I feel more comfortable there. Mm-hmm. But I think being able to know that you have a particular story and you have a particular lens and um, that, is, that is important for people to know about um, because mm. other people resonate with it. Um, I have over my entrepreneurial life um, now have recognized that just sharing kind of what I'm feeling, how I'm navigating certain issues as a Black woman, second gen immigrant, in the U S um, has resonated with a lot of people. And then I'm finding out like it's inspiring people to do things. And so I think not underestimating your voice and being able to figure out how your voice can, can come through, um, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't have to be social media. It can be, you know, through partnering with certain organizations and being able to do mentoring or, doing talks i just finished mm. the talk with the organization talking to high schoolers and mm. um and you know just sharing they just want to know my story and how i did certain things right so it's just not being afraid of sharing your voice so i would say those yeah. things the vision values the voice in your village
0: i absolutely love that yeah and i'm i'm sure that's intentionally for for v's right um, i love alliteration
1: yeah
0: so, yeah can't yeah. get of it, can't get <laughs> it. <laughs> your 4v four, four model so so clinically becoming becoming stronger and kinder for you the center of it was um remembering that patients are, are people um that you're you're dealing with people not just patients with with problems um and i, I wholeheartedly resonate with that i um uh you know try to talk about kind of communication skills and challenging conversations with um some of the doctors and um med students I work with. You know, it used to be very much like it's the doctor-patient relationship, you know, is very kind of paternalistic, and you know, the doctor says this, and and then it seemed like the pendulum swung the other way and it became really patient-centered, and the doctor's just like the you know, the prescription writer in this whole scenario, right? And <laughs> um, but ultimately, you know, in both both of those models, it's just a human human interaction, isn't it? It's a human human relationship, and you know, we all bring our baggage to the consultation, and and so on. And uh, you know, when things go awry, it's like, well, you know, they're a human. What happened? You know, what uh, what was, why did they come in kind of angry and shouty and whatever? You know, um, so that's that. Yeah, I love that. That's. Um, it's really good to remember that. And then from a business more businessy side of things, entrepreneurial side, your four Vs, um, your vision, what what's your what's your why? And I love I love that that your your purpose, you know, kind of goes in seven-year cycles or, or thereabouts, you know. But it's we we evolve as people, mm-hmm. and what we what we see as the need. Uh, for whatever it, our line of work is will will change won't it you know as as well that will evolve so it's understandable why your vision and your purpose um, should evolve with it you know um, otherwise you're just kind of doing the same thing um, but to a different you know group of people or a different community which has evolved and then you're not going to get the results because you're just trying to do the same thing you were doing in their iteration from seven years ago, right? And that's that's uh yeah, you know, it's a bit that's a bit bit like that, you know, alleged um quote of Einstein's about doing the same thing and expecting results, <laughs> isn't it? You know, I mean I don't know whether Einstein actually said that or not, but uh it's a good it's a good <laughs> saying. Um values I love. I'm very, very huge fan of values. I get all my clients to do the values in action survey and work on their values whether they're burning out whether they're career transitioners whether it's leadership values 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 um i, I can't can't uh, emphasize how important that is um it takes a village um and and we we're talking about delegation and village and and being a kind a kind leader i think that's a good example of where you can be kind to yourself yeah you know by kind of like not taking on everything and because otherwise you're going to burn out right you can't pour from an empty cup so if you try you know um and you're not being kind and caring to yourself um so your village is just so so important and the voice the voice the verbal voice the written voice the voice of experience the the voice of inspiration you know um speaking to these um high school students and stuff i i love it i love it dr Omalara. i really love it thank you thank you so much for all of that that's a great model. You should trademark the the 4V model. <laughs>
2: I'll work on that. <laughs> People heard
0: it here first, okay? Don't don't steal it. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, we're coming towards the towards the end now. So, um what have you got any take-home leadership messages for the listeners that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that the the biggest thing for me honestly is very simple. It's it's authenticity. Um, I've, I have to, I'm realizing now that many of the places where I was a leader was this is, you know, showing up as this is how I'm supposed to show up. Right.
2: And
1: there's always going to be that tension and the ability really not to be able to tap into doing the work that you're equipped to do if you can't show up authentically. And that might mean, I don't know how to do this. Right. It might mean showing all of these flaws or fallible pieces but it also allows for your team and other people to show up and be like well I do like and even yesterday I was having a conversation with my client project manager and she was like I put together this agenda because I know that you you really like to have you know like I know what you want to do but I wanted to make sure like I know you wouldn't put it down on paper (laughs) and like make sure that like it was clear for everyone else. So I took that, you know, I took that under my wing to do that. And it was perfect. It went so well. And so I think just being authentic for your team members. I mean, they don't have to know everything, but being authentic in front of your team members to be like, this is a struggle for me. Um, And who is it not a struggle? Who thrives on that? I think authenticity is something that is great um, you know, it's scary, especially as a Black woman. It is very scary because it can jeopardize things. I'm not going to say that it can't. But being a, you know, showing up as yourself can jeopardize in a lot of these institutions that are very much based in kind of, you know, white supremacy and and assimilation towards that, right? Mm-hmm. that That can be hard. And so, yes, we do need to recognize that. But I do think that it does make us have to consider if that is if it's difficult to be authentic in that environment. Is that the environment you need to be in? And that's um, what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah.
0: That's- no, that is absolutely wonderful. Um and, and and it is and you know you you work with people in in the charitable sector and uh you know we know that listen if if there are people in health care who aren't very caring and we know lots of people like that there are people in the charitable sector who are also not very charitable or not very not very caring um and you know ultimately it, it, you're, in, you're in a difficult position, aren't you, um, with your role, because you're you're trying to secure funding for, you know, underprivileged, disenfranchised people. Oh. So it's not about you. On the one hand, it's not about you. It's about them. But mm-hmm. equally, having to compromise yourself, you know, kind of lo- literally, you know, whitewash yourself and pretend like you're being like uh, towing the white party line
2: mm-hmm.
0: to get the funding, that must be agonizingly difficult and it's like on the one hand it's well they're not my tribe so if i don't work with them it doesn't matter but equally it's like well they got billions of dollars that <laughs> they could kind of pour into some of that they could pour into these communities and um that i, I how do you de- how do you deal with that i mean this, yeah, sorry, this I, is an add-on go question back to,
1: yeah i'll go back to authenticity i think mm-hmm. It it is that that makes you stand out, right? Because yeah. a lot of these people are hearing things that are kind of, you know, almost to um, so agreeable towards them, right? That yeah. it's like, yes, you know everything, and yes, th- that that is true. And it's kind of when, and this is not about being a contrarian, but it's about when you know that this is something that needs to be funded in this way. You usually have some something to back that up or expertise around that and I think just being authentic about this that you've been funding Mm. hasn't actually been that effective in terms of like being able to do this and this is something I think really could do this and we've you know seen it work here here and here so I think Mm. just showing up with that confidence in yeah you don't know everything but you know this thing
0: (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. you are the expert in the room and Um, just remembering
1: that they money does not take away humanity right so this person sitting in front of me yeah they have access to a bunch of money but they're still Mm. a fallible human just yeah
0: yeah oh very much so yeah yeah um no that's 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 really helpful thank you um okay yeah so um time for you to to share and and promote something that you're you're working on at the moment um is there anything that you're really excited about at the moment that you'd like to tell us about and maybe people could get get involved
1: yeah i mean i'm always sharing kind of i i do master classes one of the things that i'm working and the master class is really to support melanin um and medicine in terms of Mm. being able to share with people like how to actually what our model is and how we actually mm. are able to bring dollars right in mm, mm. Practices through these nonprofit partnerships. So I do that usually every month. Um, but this month I'm actually doing a strategic advisory or I should say in December um, where it's going to be financial operations. And then myself talking about how to position your practices to get grants and um, and uh, contracts and it's not just me this time so I'll be having a financial expert to talk about like what needs to be in place and then i also have a systems operations expert to also do that but I oh, think wow. you know yeah. so it's going to be exciting that's December 14th but any mm. but I will be sharing that that um, actually will be on our quick links so um, we have a quick link such is bit.ly bit.ly forward/melanin slash melanin and medicine um and so you follow me on instagram follow me on linkedin uh you'll be able to see that link as well
0: okay going to make sure that is in the show notes um thank you that i uh, that um that strategic masterclass sounds really fantastic um so december the 14th i'll have to uh and whether if people kind of sign up, will there be a recording of that as well that people yes, can? Exactly. Yeah. Like Excellent. Great. Excellent. Cool. Brilliant. And it's paid for and the funds go towards the um, melanin and medicine. Right. Exactly. Foundation. It's yeah. Not,
1: yeah. It's nine, it's yeah. $99. Just so people yeah. know what it is. Wow. That's, front. that's,
0: that's an absolute bargain. That's a steal <laughs> yeah. for for all yeah. that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so great. Great value for money there. Um. And if, if any of the listeners would like to reach out to you uh, personally, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: LinkedIn, yes. Yeah, so yeah. just come over, yeah. put my name in the LinkedIn, yeah. and you'll find me. Yeah. I'm quite yeah. active there. Um, so yes, yeah, come on. And the
0: websites, does – um. Uh, strong children wellness and melanin and medicine both have their own websites
1: yes strong children wellness strong children wellness.co we're we're doing a rebrand of the website but that's our original website right now and melanin and and medicine.co so strong children wellness.com and melaninmedicine.co
0: yeah brilliant okay excellent definitely put those in the show notes as well wonderful and um Finally, I can't believe we've, we've come to the end. Um, we've covered so much. Um, don't want it to end, but, you know, it has to. Uh, you you have you have somewhere to be. So <laughs> do you have any any closing words that you'd like to share with the listeners?
1: Um, I, I really don't. I, I just truly think, like, it's important, of course, to be um, – that don't get, you know, too tied up with how I, I can't be a leader. How should I show up as a leader? I think all of us have leadership already within us and we're probably already doing that. Um, Mm. So I just think just being able to, you know, just stand in who you are, be authentic is the most important part of of being a leader and um, just recognizing that you don't have to like have a title
0: to Mm.
1: uh, be a leader. Um,
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yep. No, that is, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That's, uh, that's really, uh, really helpful. Um, well, thank you again for, for coming on the show. Um, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and really wonderful advice. Um, honestly, it's been a, a really enlightening and for me personally, educational, um, interview that we've had, um, Amalara, thank you. Um, and thank you to the audience for listening. Um, And until the next episode in two weeks all that remains is to wish you health happiness and inspiring leadership take care thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the inspiring women leaders podcast today i really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as i enjoyed recording it if you did please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel Dr. Adam, Physician Coach, so please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline, so please keep a regular eye on my website www.dradamharrisonorword.com that's www.dradamharrison.com for updates. Thank you again for your time today and please join me next time 2 weeks from now on alternate Wednesdays for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders.